Alright guys, welcome back. This is Faye. This is Nick. And this is... Creogs Over Coffee. So today, guys, we are going to be doing part one of a two-part series on placental pathology and talking about specifically the placental path report. So what are our learning objectives today, Nick? And also talk to us about our objectives for next time. Yeah, so kind of for today's portion, we will understand when to send the placenta to pathology, knowing that this may be a different answer in every institution, but we'll give you some general thoughts about that. Um, and then we'll also review placental development and pathology, because we know that those kinds of questions are good for one or two bonus points on the CREOGS if you see them. And then that'll be sort of the setup for part two, where in that part of the series, we'll review some of the more common pathology findings, discuss a few less common ones that might be important, and also know which findings that can be significant for future pregnancies. Um, so this is great, Faye, because I feel like this is a huge mystery. Um, you know, you get like the placental pathology in your in-basket in Epic yep. if you use Epic or you know, the, the report and whatever EMR you use, it's like a week or so after the delivery, and then you see like some, you know, uh, some itises and some, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. some villus something or another, and you're like, what in the heck does this mean? Um, and you found actually a nice article that kind of goes over this. Um, so I think we probably should start out with what we hope to get out of all of this, right? And ideally, we want to know what happened during the delivery, if there were any complications or anything like that, because usually you're sending the placenta to pathology because there was something going on with the pregnancy. So the goals of what we want are to, one, um, get findings that are relevant to the immediate care of the mother or baby. So is there anything that could potentially affect their health um, in the first few days or weeks of life. And then we want to get findings that are predictive of possible recurrence that could guide pregnancy care in subsequent pregnancies. We're also hoping to get diagnoses that potentially explain adverse pregnancy events, um, which is probably the most common reason we send the placenta. And then also, the last thing is we want to get findings that may be important in medical legal investigation of perinatal mortality and long-term morbidity. So these are kind of the broad groups of why we want to send a placenta to pathology. So then I think, you know, the next question becomes, well, then which placentas should we send? Yeah, so I think probably like in many parts of our talks on obstetrics, Faye, you can break the reasons down for sending a placenta into three broad categories of maternal, fetal, and placental. Uh, I think that's a great rule always to think about when you're trying to figure out causes of things or how do I bring up a differential diagnosis or something in obstetrics. So maternal, fetal, and placental. Mm -hmm. So to start with, maternal reasons for sending placenta might include things like preterm delivery, unexpected or recurrent pregnancy complications that have occurred, things that have to do with maternal systemic disorders, whether those be preeclampsia, uh, maternal malignancy, diabetes, etc. Any suspicion for infection, um, particularly again for your triple I or chorioamnionitis, and then finally, you know, any excessive third trimester bleeding or hemorrhage at the time of delivery might be a reason to send as well. Moving to fetal reasons, of course, no one reason that we would send the placenta would be for a stillbirth or a neonatal death, um, but you also might consider it for an unexpected NICU admission, 
a baby that's either small for its gestational age or large for its gestational age. Um, even in the kind of things that are going down towards that unexpected NICU admission or stillbirth, you know, a pH of less than seven on your cord gas or a low five-minute APGAR or birth depression might be a reason. Neonatal seizures, a baby that has high drops or severe oligohydramnios or polyhydramnios might also be worth sending a placenta for. And then multiple gestations are also a classic reason to send a placenta for pathology. Finally, there are placental reasons to send the placenta to the pathology, which sounds redundant. Um, but when you yeah. <laughs> look at the placenta, um, you may notice something that looks like some structural abnormality or size abnormality, um, and then possibly also having an incomplete placenta or one that kind of gets shredded up at the time of delivery too, maybe a reason to send the placenta to path for the sake of placental reasons. Um, and then one thing that I wanted to just make mention of um, is that in this, you know, we mentioned things like neonatal seizures or uh, maternal infection or stuff like that. And so some of those may not present until after, you know, the first day of life or postpartum day one, two, three. And so we actually would recommend too that holding the placenta for up to seven days as needed, it can actually be stored unfixed in a fridge for that long of a period of time. Um, so that gives you the option potentially to add on the placental pathology if something changes in those first few few days. All right. Well, Faye, kind of from there, I think we've covered a lot of reasons to send the placenta to pathology, but we have to demystify the placenta a little bit more first. Yeah. So I thought that, you know, we would talk a little bit first by switching gears and discuss the anatomy and the development of the placenta. And I'm not really sure how we haven't done this yet on this podcast. So whoops, just one of those things that we haven't done. What I'd like to do is kind of first go through the anatomy of the placenta, like a full-term placenta, and then we're going to talk about embryology, which I realize is a little bit backwards, but I think it's actually helpful in terms of like how I think about, you know, we're, we have like a place that we're going towards. So to first start off by talking about what the placenta is made of. So the placenta can be thought of as in three different layers. Um, you know, they're not actually three different layers, but I think it's a good way to think about it. So this is divided into the maternal side or the basal plate, the intervillous space, which is just the space that separates the maternal and fetal sides, and the fetal side, which is the chorion plate. So the maternal side contains trophoblastic cells, decidual cells, um, and the decidua basalis. And from the basal plate, the placenta septa bulge into the intervillous space, basically creating a system of grooves that go from the maternal side towards the fetal side, but never actually touches the fetal side. The basal plate is also penetrated by multiple endometrial arteries and venules that then supply this area with blood flow. The intervillous space is really where the exchange between the fetal and maternal circulatory systems occur. Um, and this occurs between the main stem villi from the fetal side and the maternal endometrial arteries and venules. And remember, the fetal and maternal blood don't ever mix. The last side is the fetal side or the chorion plate. And this is made up of connective tissue and contains the amnion, the main stem villi, and the chorionic arteries and veins, which then coalesce at the cord insertion site. So all of these vessels then come together to then form your umbilical cord and the vessels therein. The chorionic arteries and veins then 
going towards the other way, become arterioles and venules of the main stem villi. And the main stem villi will then project into that intravillous space, just like finger projections downward, just like how in the basal plate, um, you have those uh, endometrial and arteries and venules that kind of penetrate up. Um, and then they're connected to the maternal basal plate by anchoring villi. So I feel like that is a lot of ways to describe what I think can be better shown in a picture. So we certainly will post a picture on our website as well. Um, But now that we've talked about anatomy, Nick, what about placental embryology? Let's go super basic. Where does that placenta come from? Yeah, so definitely embryology is one of these things that helps explain a lot. And I feel like it's always one of those things where when you look at it, you're like, oh my gosh, things make so much sense, but then you forget about it. Um, So simplifying it is definitely the name of the game that I love. And I'm sure, you know, most people love when thinking about this. Um, So after fertilization and implantation around day five, you have what is called a blastocyst that's formed. And the blastocyst is ultimately what will eventually implant. And this blastocyst contains a blastocyst cavity, an inner cell mast, and a trophoblast, sort of its three layers, if you will. And that trophoblast eventually becomes the placenta. So during implantation, there are a bunch of complex interactions between the endometrium and the embryo, and these are divided up into phases called things like apposition, adhesion, and invasion. And any dysfunction in one of those three processes can lead to abnormal placentation and leads ultimately to affected placental function. So really, again, to summarize, you have that blastocyst, that is going to be, or in specific terms, the trophoblast portion of that will be what forms the placenta and interacts with the maternal endometrium and dysfunction in that process of implantation interaction with the endometrium can lead to affected placental function one way or another. Now we'll leave sort of what the consequences of dysfunction in that are up to part two, um, where we're gonna talk about some placental findings, but I think this is a good place to stop for today, Faye. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll pause there for today, Faye. This is kind of a short episode, admittedly, um, but we encourage everybody to go check out the website, look at some of the photos there of those placental layers, just so that way you can get sort of a visual representation of this too, and get ready for next week where we come back with part two, talking about some pathologic findings. All right, guys. So once again, this is Faye. This is Nick. And this has been Creogs River Coffee. So if you enjoyed the podcast today, head over to iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, whatever your podcatcher is, and give us a five-star rating and review. You can find us on social media, on Twitter at CreogsRiverCoff1, on Facebook and Instagram at CreogsRiverCoffee. And if you want to donate to the show, you can go ahead and go onto our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash CreogsRiverCoffee. We have show notes for this episode, as well as all of our previous episodes, and the Rosh Review Question of the Week on our website, CreogsRiverCoffee.com. And if you want to email us, let us know about some corrections or an idea for a show, our email is creogsrivercoffee at gmail.com. <laughs>